0: Hebrews chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. The Bible talks about foundations. Have you been enjoying this series on foundations? Amen. Right? The Bible talks about the the foundations. And one of those foundations is repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. So when you're a believer in Jesus, it is crucial to have a revelation around repentance. Amen. Amen. And I know there's some people who preach today saying like, no, you don't need to repent. No, because Jesus has already forgiven you of everything. You don't need to repent. Let me say something very quickly. It's one thing to be forgiven by Jesus. It's another thing to repent. Amen. Jesus has already forgiven you for everything you've done, everything you are doing, and everything you will do. The blood of Jesus is timeless. Amen. So he has forgiven us. But repentance is not the same as forgiveness. Amen. When we look in the Old Testament, the sense we get concerning repentance, it's basically 180 degree turn. Not 360. 360 gets you back to the same place. A lot of people make that mistake, don't they? Like, yeah, just turn around. 360. No, 360 gets you back to the same place. All right. Some of you might have liked um, Oliver Mtukudzi. Do you remember his, his one song, You're in the Wrong Direction? You remember that song, right? Right. It's when you recognize that you're moving in the wrong direction and you make a U-turn. It's a bit like those of you with navigators when you're driving in traffic and you miss that turn. And then you get a bit nervous when you hear the, the navigator speaking to you in an American accent or we were in an Uber the other day in Cape Town and it was what was an Indian accent. Okay. It was a bit of a novelty for us. Right. And then they say, make a U-turn. In 180 meters, make a U-turn. That is repentance. And we see that in the Old Testament, that was the emphasis, making a U-turn. If you haven't made a U-turn in a specific area of your life, it means you haven't repented. And then in the New Testament, we see a very powerful word, and that word is, it's it's spelt metanoia. Right? That's how we spell it. I've heard a Greek-speaking person saying metanya, right? That's how they seem to say it. And metanoia means a basic change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of outlook. So when I look at repentance, and I want to start off with this definition, for me, it's a change of mind about something, a change of outlook on something, and it's a change of attitude towards something with a resultant behavioral change. Amen. So if you don't change your behavior concerning something, ladies and gentlemen, it means you haven't repented. You know those people who keep saying sorry for the same thing? They haven't repented. Because by definition, repentance speaks of, no, that's 360. Eh? Repentance. Amen. All right. All right. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. It's not revelations. A lot of people make the mistake of saying revelation. The book of revelations, it's one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus, okay? Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Are you expectant? Do you love the word? Are you expectant? I am, right? Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is Jesus speaking to John, and he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work. And your perseverance. Isn't wonderful when the Lord Jesus recognizes our deeds, our hard work, our perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That's a good thing. Jesus is actually praising them for that, eh? So don't feel bad when you can't tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. We've done a bit of that, haven't we? Right? And you found them false. Verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. It's amazing the things that Jesus values, hey? Because he's saying this thing again, perseverance. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is one of the most powerful scriptures for me in in, in the Bible. There's so much revelation in that. Do you know what it shows me? Whenever I look at this scripture, I'm reminded of the fact that the speed of repentance is crucial. The speed of repentance is crucial. Because you see, when Jesus looked here, he recognized that these guys had forsaken their first love. I don't know if they were in this state for two years, for one year, or for six months. But the point is, he recognized that they have forsaken their first love. Are we clear? And he says, if you don't repent, then there are consequences. And the question I've always had is, How long is that period? How long is the grace period? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to say to you this morning that when we don't repent, there's a grace period. But at a certain point, there are consequences to non-repentance. Can you see that? He says, if you don't repent of this particular thing, I will come and remove your lampstand. What is the lampstand speaking of? It's speaking of the influence of that particular church, the authority of that particular church, the light, the favor, all those good things, the power, the dominion. And you know what saddens me is today, in the very same place where the church of Ephesus used to be, that's now a predominantly Muslim area. Are you hearing me? And this term, removing removing the lampstand, it's not limited to just a church. You can even speak about it concerning individuals where there's certain people where you can see the glory has departed. In the Old Testament, there was that term used, "ikabud," the glory has departed. Kabud is the glory, the weight of God. And when the glory departs, it's ikabud. Amen. Could it be that there are areas in my life? that I need to repent of, and God is actually saying to me, you know what, if you don't change your outlook, if you don't change your attitude, if you don't change your mind, Paul, concerning this particular thing, and make a U-turn, at a certain point I might come and remove the lampstand from your life. You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. But something has lifted off you concerning my glory. Is everyone following this morning? And one of the things I've learned is that when God convicts us of a particular thing through his word, by his spirit, we need to respond to what he's saying. So you see, sometimes he gives us opportunities, a message is preached, and you can choose to go through it again and to say, Lord, I want to make sure I repent, I change my mind where I need to change my mind, because if I don't, there are consequences. Amen. Now, some people look at this and they say, ah, but you know what? The New Testament God isn't like that. Like God had a midlife crisis. How New Testament can you get? This is the book of Revelation. This is like, you know, the last book. It's like, how, <laughs> how much more New Testament can you get? And this is God, this is Jesus basically saying these are the consequences for this church. And you know what the scary thing is? This church had so many good qualities. And you know what I found about repentance? Very often we overcompensate in our lives. So we've got so many aspects of our lives that are great. And we think, because I'm a great prayer warrior, because I'm great in the word, because I love people and counsel them so much, God won't notice the other stuff. But when you look at the scripture in Revelation 2, he gives them props for all these things. I mean, he's saying, you guys have tested false apostles. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. But because of this one thing in your life, I'm going to come, if you don't repent, and I'll remove your lampstand. I want to ask you this morning, what one thing in your life could cause Jesus himself to come and remove your lampstand? Are you hearing me this morning? It doesn't matter how many prayer meetings you attend, because he might say, I love this about you. You You're always at Ignite. I love this about you. you. You are so prayerful. I love this about you. you. You give so consistently. But there's this one thing. What's that one thing for you? Someone is saying, I know pastor with me, it's five things. <laughs> is everyone following this morning? This is so powerful. This is foundational doctrine. You know what I love? You cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. What do we mean when we keep saying that? We say it quite a lot. If you've got an issue and you feel you need deliverance, don't come to me afterwards and say, Pastor, can you pray and just rebuke this demon from me if you're not at the same time willing to repent in that specific area. Are you hearing me this morning? Don't come to me and say, pastor, please counsel me. I don't want to just be counseling demons. You know, sometimes when we're counseling, we can just be counseling demons. We can be counseling a lying spirit where the person is there and they're just enjoying the attention. But there's no willingness to repent. Those of you who counsel people, you cannot remove the repentance equation from counseling repentance is such a wonderful gift if you are the kind of person who's able to repent quickly and come to a place of brokenness you see that there's power that is released for you to overcome that particular thing are you hearing me this morning please if my eyes land on you i'm not thinking about anything about you okay sometimes when i'm preaching my eyes land on people and you can see there's this nervous look like has has he been told has he been no please This is a journey we're all on. It's like some of you have these guilty looks. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Amen? The speed of repentance is key. And non-repentance has consequences. One of the things I love about Joseph, is one of my favorite characters in scripture. I can identify with his personality, you know. He had that sunshine yellow thing about him. Like, you know, who does that? You get a revelation that your brothers are going to bow down to you and all of that kind of thing. Then you tell them. You know? <laughs> Some people are so introvert. They're like, just, you know, I'm just, I'm just marinating on this thing. Some of us, we tell them, hey, the Lord gave me this dream last night. Guess what he told me? <laughs> all right. But Joseph was being tempted and seduced by Potiphar's wife. What did he do? He fled. Some people don't flee temptation. And they don't flee temptation because they think they're strong. And the root of that is pride. Amen? He fled. He ran away from it. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 9. You don't have to turn there. It's a scripture I was just meditating on earlier on. And he says, if your eye causes you to sin, what should you do? One of the translations says, gouge it out. Jesus was very graphic, wasn't he? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And then he goes on to say something so powerful. He says, for it is better for you to go to heaven with one eye than for you to be thrown in the fire of hell with two eyes. And people now who call themselves Christians are saying there's no hell. What is it that you have to gouge out of your life because it's causing you to stumble? Is it a friendship? Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about repentance here. You can't say, I repent of what I was doing with that friend, right? And then you just keep the friend, and you can never let go of the friend. And you keep stumbling each time you're with that friend. If your eye, your eye is very important, isn't it? If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your friend is causing you to stumble, gouge him or her out. Amen? If being in that particular industry that you are in is causing you to stumble, gouge it out. I'm amazed. It's like some people who've got a drinking problem and you say, so where are you working now? It's like, no, I'm working in that bar over there. I don't get that. If having DSTV at home is causing you to stumble, gouge it out. I know a guy who shared with us recently, I was counseling him and his wife, and his wife was frustrated because he's not on WhatsApp. And he said to us, well, the reason I'm not on WhatsApp is because I don't want to be tempted in terms of social media and pornography and so on. And she was quite firm with him and says, when was the last time it happened? When was the last time it happened? But the point I'm just making is that it's something he removed because it was causing him to stumble. Even though it was inconvenient for all of us who want to send him material via WhatsApp, Are you following this morning? What do you need to gouge out of your life as an act of true repentance because it's causing you to stumble, because you value your relationship with Father God so much? Amen? If you have a problem with smoking, you know how a lot of people smoke, right? But it's triggered by certain things, isn't it? If you have a problem with smoking, but whenever there's a break at work, and you know how smokers in the workplace have multiple breaks, right? Right? And I'm told the seven minutes they need. Whenever I do workshops and so on, I say, guys, have a five-minute body break. And the smokers are like, you know, we need seven minutes. We need seven minutes. All right? But if you struggle with smoking and you're always going out with the smokers, hanging out with them, smelling the nicotine, of course you will stumble. Are you getting this this morning? We're talking about true repentance. We're not talking about, oh, Jesus, I'm just so sorry about that. We're talking about true repentance. So what does it mean for a person to repent? Repentance is a change of mind resulting in a complete turnaround. And that's what I've been saying. It's so, so important. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word aram. And it means to turn back, to return, to recover from a particular thing. In the New Testament, it's a fundamental changing of your mind concerning something. Can I give you an example of how you repent? Let me just say something. When you repent, don't just repent of the behavior. Repent of the mindset that led to the behavior. Amen? Are you following? So so instead of me just saying, Lord, forgive me for criticizing that person harshly, I should actually be saying, Father, forgive me for the self-righteousness that is in me. I turn from that self-righteousness. I turn from that blindness due to my own pride. That deception that came into my heart, that thought that I don't have that issue myself. I renounce that and I embrace your humility, Lord, so that I may deal graciously with person X. Because very often when we judge people harshly, the root is a self-righteousness and a pride that's in us. Are you following this morning? Okay. You know those people in the workplace who are always late? And every meeting, every time, they're they're like, like, sorry, I'm late. The other meeting ran over. Sorry, I'm late. The other meeting ran over. If the person is continuously like that, it means they haven't repented. How do you repent? I remember the other day just writing this out of, of late coming. Father, forgive me for my selfishness that got me so absorbed in my world and what I was doing. And I renounced the dishonoring behavior, my heart of dishonor towards those people in that meeting. Forgive me for prioritizing my stuff over their stuff. Can you see where I'm going? Right? Very often people who are, you know, in the workplace you have a lot of back-to-back meetings. And someone will come and say, sorry, the the previous meeting ran over. The problem wasn't the previous meeting running over. The problem was that you are bound by a man-pleasing spirit. So you can't be assertive to those people in the previous meeting and say to them, you know what, guys? I've got another meeting now. I need to go. So what would you repent of? You'd repent of the fear of man that is stopping you from being courageous enough to say, sorry guys, I need to go to the next meeting. Are you following? When we repent, it's a hot thing. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Repentance is not to be seen as something negative but as the doorway into God's salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Guys, repentance produces life. Simple as that. It produces life. You know that sometimes when you're sick, one of the things that will lead to your breakthrough is repenting of how you've seen sickness. Father, forgive me for seeing the sickness as having come from you when it was actually from the devil. I change my mind concerning how I see sickness. And I renounce it in Jesus' name. That word to renounce is a very powerful word. It basically means to disown. To disassociate yourself from a particular thing. Amen? Can you see the power of repentance when it comes to healing? Sometimes it's about repenting from how we viewed the sickness. It's so important. I like what Charles Finney once said. He defined repentance as an intellectual and hearty giving up of all controversy with God upon all and every point. It implies a conviction that God is wholly right and the sinner is wholly wrong. And a thorough and hearty abandonment of all excuses and apologies for sin. Isn't that powerful? And what happens is someone who's truly repentant, when it comes to what they've done, they're not defensive. When they're now apologizing to you, it's not one of those apologies like, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. You know when people say, I'm sorry that you ended up being frustrated as a result of this. That's a non-apology, ladies and gentlemen. When you're truly apologetic, you're taking full responsibility for what you thought and what you did. Amen? Some people like me to give them hope and to say wonderful, nice things. But you know what? I'm I'm afraid to say there are times when I'm counseling a family or counseling a couple. And I sometimes have to say to the husband or to the wife, I don't think your husband will ever change. I have to say that. I have to say that. And it's two hats that I wear. You guys have to understand this. I wear one hat as a psychologist studying the mind and behavioral patterns and I wear another hat as someone who's counseled so many people and seen some people change and sees many people not change. And sometimes I have to say to some people, I'm not saying you, I sometimes have to say to some people, your wife will never change, your husband will never change. Do you know how I know? And often I add to that and I say, unless the terror of the Lord comes upon them. There was a particular pastor years ago. He fell into adultery and initially confessed a couple of cases of adultery. And then he was now being counseled by certain prophets And the terror of the Lord came upon this guy. Do you know what I mean when I say the terror of the Lord? It's when God visits you with his holiness, with the spirit of burning, and you literally feel like you're about to go to hell. When the terror of the Lord came upon this pastor, there were many more confessions that came about. Be very careful. Be very careful and cautious when people only confess when you confront them. You know those people? When you say, but I discovered this, and then the confession comes. Confession is not the same as repentance. The word confess in scripture means to agree with. So they will agree with you and say, yes, I did that, but they're only saying it because they've been caught. But I'm telling you right now, there'll be way more. Then something else comes up. Yeah, 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 it's because of this. Something else comes up. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's because of it. But they never come to you and tell you the whole story. Are you hearing me this morning? Unless the terror of God comes upon someone, there's no deliverance. You know that all we'll be doing is what we call behavior modification. You know what behavior modification is? It's when someone realizes, and it's it's a form of worldly sorrow. It's when someone is like, "Hey, this is not working out for me. Yo, yo, I'm going to lose my kids in the process. Oh, hey, the pastor doesn't seem to like me anymore. Hey, it's affecting my personal brand and my business. This is not good for my ministry. You hear that coming up also, hey, with pastors. Hey, yeah, so let me try and change my ways. That's not repentance. That's behavior modification. And you know what happens with behavior modification? Under a little bit of pressure, after a few months, people go back to their default. Please listen very, very carefully. This is so foundational when it comes to ministering deliverance. I see some people who I've counseled who were having, uh, uh, this one guy was having multiple affairs, but now his marriage is being healed. Not someone from this church. And one of the key things I saw with this individual, it's like there's been a change of mind, a change of attitude. With some other people who I counsel, they begin to blame the spouse. Like, yeah, no, but she was snooping. Yeah, she was looking at my personal things, Pastor. Yeah, but I am like, dude, dude, you've cheated multiple times on your wife, and now you're here to talk to me about your wife snooping and looking at your personal things on your phone, which is the greatest sin? And what do you have to hide? That your wife can't see your personal things. And for those of you who think that I'm preaching about you, News flash. This year alone, I've probably dealt with about 25, 20 cases of infidelity in marriages. So for those of you who come to me afterwards and say, yeah, pastor, I think you are talking about me. You're not the only person in Centurion or in Gauteng. Get over yourself. I deal with lots of people. Amen. Some people think they're the center of the universe. Like it's all, about, it's all about me, Jesus. The pastor's only speaking about me. I'm the only person that counts. It's not about you all. No! We deal with lots of people every day. I'm counseling people hours and hours on the phone. Amen? So if you feel convicted, the shoe fits, just wear it don't come to me afterwards and say, "Ah pastor, were you talking about you're talking about me." Please. I asked the Lord, what are some of the things we need to repent of even in this church? The Lord began to speak to me and says, "We need to repent of our use of time. We need to see time as a gift. We need to worship God with our time." If you struggle with pornography, the thing to repent of is not just the lust. It's not just the fantasy. It's repenting of your use of time. Lord, I did not worship you with my time. I did not glorify you with my time. Amen? Lord showed me that we need to repent of putting his, not putting his kingdom first. Is God's kingdom first in your life. Lord showed me that even leaders in this church, we need to, t- we need to repent of not taking ownership. That mindset of others will do it you know the reason why churches, people in church don't give a lot? Often it's the wrong mentality. It's this mindset of, they're those wealthy guys in the church and they'll do all the giving. They'll cover for me in the next few months. Your giving counts. Amen? Seriously, it's something we must repent of. It's the mindset of others will do it. Others will do it. Those are some of the things the Lord was beginning to show me. Then he started to show, as I was praying about this, Lord, what do we need to repent of? I then started smelling this filthy smell. It was like extreme toe jam. You guys know what toe jam is, right? You know toe jam, when people's shoes smell. I was praying, I was in that. it was a few days ago, and I was in this room over here, and I'm thinking to myself, what's the smell, this filth? And the Lord started showing me it was secret sin, hidden sin, things like pornography, fantasy. Let me just explain something. One of, the, one of the revelations that helps you to repent of stuff, you know what it is? It's when you understand that if you continue giving the enemy a foothold in your life in that area, you open a door to demonic activity and perversion. Do you know that if you're a single person, if you're single and you, and you dabble with pornography, you're opening a door to a spirit of perversion. And that will, that will stay in your marriage one day when you do get married. I've said this to you before. When you say, I do, the demon doesn't leave. Some people have got this thing of, I can mess around when I'm single. I'm free. I'm a free person. It doesn't matter. I'm free. I'm not bound to anyone. You're bound to God. I'll just do it. No, you're sowing divorce into your life. Because with the same measure, you know, the Bible tells us, you reap what you sow. So each time you look at those pictures, those images, you're sowing into infidelity. You're sowing into the flesh and you're opening a door for that spirit to enter your life. And then when you're married one day, that thing is there. Are you following? And it affects your children, it affects your family. Repentance is not a joke, ladies and gentlemen. Are you getting something this morning? So we're not one of those churches where we just preach nice motivational messages to tickle people's ears. Otherwise, we're wasting our own time. Amen. Okay? Let me just say something. There's always a lie behind a stronghold. There's always a lie, and it's what we call a guardian lie. And so sometimes what happens is when you are renouncing sin or repenting of sin, it's important to also renounce the lie behind it. So let's say someone is fornicating. All right, You don't just say, Lord, I repent and I turn away from this fornication. I'm going to do some crafted prayers sometime on, on repentance and renouncing. You don't just say, Lord, forgive me, I repent of this fornication. There was a lie that you believed and you nursed that led you to that fornication. Are you hearing me this morning? Right? Lord, forgive me, I renounce this lie that in order for me, To get married one day, I have to sleep with this person, otherwise he will leave me. Lord, I renounce this lie where I said to myself that this thing is something everyone is doing and Jesus has forgiven me already, so it won't actually affect the rest of my life. Can you see there are lies that lead to fornication? Is everyone following this morning? There's always a lie behind the sin. And let's renounce the lies. Otherwise, the thing will happen again and again and again. How many of us in this room, that message applies to us where we need to turn back to our first love? Let me make it easy for you. Let me ask you a question. Can you think back to a time in your life where you were more radical as a Christian than you are currently? Can you look back and say, hey, there were those days when I used to really, really pray? Hey, there were those days when I would really minister to the lost effectively. Oh, there were those days when I was so committed to church activities. Can you look back to a time where you were more radical for Jesus, more devoted to the things of God than you are currently? If you can. It might tell a bit of a story. It might mean in that area of your life, perhaps, I'm not saying anything, perhaps you have backslidden. You see, it's fine for us to look at the church in Ephesus and be like, yeah, these guys fell away from their first love, but let's bring it home because these things, the Bible says, were written for us. Could it be that you've forsaken your first love? You know what I find amazing about our church? Do you know that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that come to go church? If you were to send out a text message, or if you were to see how many people are on our database, there's so many people who come to go church. You know what the scary thing is? A lot of them only come once every three weeks. Some of you here today, you fit into that category, so you know what I'm talking about. Was there ever a time where you would come to church every Sunday? You could not miss church. But now you're that person who comes once every three weeks. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm I'm just looking at the camera. Those of you watching by way of YouTube. are Are you following me? Let's do business with God. Where we say, Lord, speak to me, please. When we repent, it releases the power to change. And quite a number of you know the old story of a guy who sold his house. He he sells his house to someone. um, And he goes back to this individual and he says, you know what? Although I've sold this house to you, can we come up with a deal? I just want an inch of your door. I just need to put a nail here. Then I'll give you a good deal for this house. And of course the guy says, yeah, no, it's fine. Just a nail. I know it's okay. So you still, you own the snail. You are still own the snail. I own the rest of the house. Yeah, I know it's cool. That's so what they did. And the guy who had sold the house then gets a dead animal and he hangs it up onto this peg that he had drilled in. Because he owned it. He could do that, right? And what happened? The thing begins to stink and it ends up stinking out the house. Other guy who had bought the house couldn't live there anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, if you give the devil an inch of your life, he'll take a mile. That's why the Bible speaks of, don't give the devil a foothold. All he needs is a foothold. And that's why when we do deliverance, we say, how did this door open? Because when you're a believer, you're supposed to be in a place of immunity, where the devil can't touch you. That's why Jesus says, Satan has nothing in me. Part of the process of repentance is getting rid of any place where the enemy has a foothold in your life. Amen? Very important. So what are some wrong concepts about repentance? A, repentance is not feeling convicted or sorry for what I've done. You know, there's some people who feel sorry for what they've done. Oh no, ah, oh, this has happened now. It's inconveniencing me in my career because, ah, oh, no. It's not the same as repentance. B, repentance is not feeling bad or having a sense of regret because of the consequences of our sin. See, the Bible says worldly sorrow brings death. That's worldly sorrow. An unbeliever can feel bad about what they've done, doesn't mean they've repented. Right? See, repentance is not saying I am sorry or even owning up to or confessing what I've done. One of the things that's irritating me nowadays is people who think that they're so righteous because they're transparent. You know those people, you're counseling them and they say, yeah, pastor, I just... And they always have to put an American accent when they call you pastor. That's also another thing that semi-irritates me. The guy's never been to the States, but everything is, yo, pastor P, yo, pastor P, I just... Anyway... So here's something that happens. Very often someone will come and then they will think they're so righteous because they confess their sin. And they say, I'm, I'm going to be real. And then they say all the things they've done, but they never change their behavior. Don't be deceived by that. Now, you cannot repent if you haven't confessed. But confession is not the same as repentance. It starts off with a conf- conviction. Then there's a confession. Confession. And then there's a turning away from it. Amen? D. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness or paying restitution out of a sense of guilt to pacify an offended party. That happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Right? Happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Many people ask for forgiveness from the one they've hurt without any real heart change taking place. So the mindset is, hey, let me ask for your forgiveness because I value this relationship and I just want you to have good feelings toward me. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are we cool, are we cool, are we cool? But you haven't changed your mind concerning what you've done. E, repentance is not external change or reformation of lifestyle with no heart change. Because very often it doesn't last and this happens a lot with New Year's resolutions, doesn't it? Ah, this year, ah, 2019, ah, this is what I'm going to do. But we haven't changed our mind concerning the particular thing. F, repentance is not merely believing in God. <laughs> I, like, I like what the, the Bible says in the book of James. James 2 verse 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So here are some people saying, well, I believe in God. You know, often I ask people this question. Like, so do you pray? You know, Paul, I believe in God, and I do pray from time to time. Not every day, but I do pray. And they think they're saying something so wise and so amazing. It's not the same as repentance. Gee, repentance is not going to church or being religious. Because you can come to church and do all the wonderful things on the outside, but it doesn't mean you've changed on the inside. Amen. These are all aspects of repentance but they're not repentance. So why is repentance necessary? A. God has commanded us to repent. I like What the Bible tells us in Acts 17, verse 30 to 31, says, truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. He commands all men everywhere to repent, amen? B, without repentance, we cannot be saved. Without repentance, we cannot be saved. Don't try to reform your life without repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, without repentance, we cannot perceive or experience the kingdom of God. And we see this in Matthew 3, verse 2, and John 3, verse 3 to 5, okay? It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I tell, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Without repentance, we cannot experience or perceive the kingdom of God. D. Without repentance, we are destined to be ruined by our sin. Guys, sin has consequences. The devil will try to get you to minimize your sin. Don't minimize it. See sin as a big issue, but see God's grace as bigger. Some people think that, oh, no, no, because God is so gracious, their mindset is, let's minimize the sin. No. We don't minimize the sin. We just acknowledge that mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? But sin is still sin. In Ezekiel 18, verse 30 to 32, the Bible says, Therefore I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Many people complain. Look, my life has become like this. My life has become like this. It's not God's fault. The sin has destroyed you. Okay? Then he goes on to say, Put all your rebellion behind you and get for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. It's so amazing when you see in the Old Testament born-again language being used. Isn't it powerful? This is a picture of what comes in the new covenant. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Why is repentance crucial? Because God wants us to experience Zoe. What is Zoe? It's the Greek word for the God kind of life. And that's why he keeps convicting us and saying, come back so you you can experience the life of God. Amen? But it's not going to happen without repentance. E. E. Without repentance, we will not build our life on a sure foundation. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. It's something you physically leave. Amen. F, without ongoing repentance, we lose our position of influence. And that's the scripture I shared with you at the start, Revelation 2 verse 5. Unless you repent, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand. So let's go through a bit of an acid test. I'd like you to think about an aspect of your life right now where you feel you need to repent. Everyone should be able to think of something, right? Right? Something the Lord has convicted you of in your life. And now we're going to do a bit of an acid test with regards to true repentance. Is everyone thinking of something? I'm not going to ask you what you need to repent of. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to try and embarrass you, so don't get nervous. Is everyone thinking of something? Hmm? Okay. All right. So this is the acid test for the fruit Of repentance or true repentance okay if genuine repentance has taken place on the inside of man there will be outward signs or fruits of this inward work okay so here's the evidence a there's godly sorrow for sin in other words do you truly regret what you've done is there that godly sorrow do you feel grieved you feel you've lost something as a result of that particular thing, right? That's 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11. We've referred to that before. B, confession of sin and a plea for mercy. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, remember I said to you earlier on that word to confess means to agree with. In other words, God convicts you of a particular thing and you agree. You say, yes, it is me okay? Confession of sin and the plea for mercy. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. One of the power, powerful things about confession is that there's a cleansing that comes. There's a promise to cleanse you in that particular area. With, be- with behavior modification, there's no cleansing. So you're trying to change your behavior on the outside But there's no cleansing when it comes to that particular area of sin. Is everyone following? C, turning from or forsaking of sinful ways. We see this in Proverbs 28 verse 13. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. There are many people today, they want their families restored, but they're continuously covering their sins. Are you following me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? Be very careful. The Bible says when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So if I want true fellowship with you, I cannot have it outside of transparency. You hear some people saying, no, 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 I'll never tell my wife that because eh, she will leave me. Eh, Wrong answer. You see, your priority is I want to be right with God. And I can only be right with God when I confess that particular thing. Is everyone following when we confess our sins to one another, we walk in the light and we have fellowship with one another. So this is an interesting one. So we have to turn from or forsake sinful ways. He who covers his sins will not prosper. I many if you want to prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confession is one thing. Yes, I'm acknowledging it. Now I need to forsake it. Sporo. I'm running from it. Amen? Those of you who could run fast. Sporo! I'm running from it. Amen? And that's Proverbs 28 verse 13. D. Renunciation of sin. Renunciation of sin. Ezekiel 14 verse 6 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. Turn from your idols, but on top of turning away, renounce them. Make it public. Say to people, guys, I'm not into that stuff anymore, and I don't apologize for it. Amen? Disown it. Some of you still need to do that concerning ancestral worship. Can I go there? In your families. Some of you are bound by this thing of, I want to be this wonderful Makoti. This wonderful Makoti who's accepted by um, her husband's family. And you're trying to be the perfect daughter-in-law. And so when you go to those places and they say, do this, do this, do that. You're like, Lord, I'm sure you'll understand because I need to be the perfect Makoti. I need to be the perfect daughter-in-law to please them. Lord, you understand, this is so much pressure. What you should be doing is actually renouncing the fact that you've made your in-laws an idol and you're putting your in-laws above God. Amen? And for so many people, because they've opened that door, because when you're talking to that, to a person who you think is your dead grandfather or their dead grandfather, you're talking to demons. You're talking to familiar spirits that are pretending to be that dead grandfather. Because obviously if they came and said, we are from Satan and we've been sent by Satan, you would be like, oh, this is scary stuff. So when that cousin of yours begins to manifest that spirit, come on, how many of you grew up with that, that type of stuff? When you've got that cousin now who's manifesting that spirit and sounding like your dead grandfather, you'll be like, hey, this is okay, this is all good. No, it's a demon. And if you allow that into your life by attending those meetings and not renouncing them, my friends, you're opening doors in your family now. And then you're wondering, why are all these things happening? It's because of those covenants with darkness that have been made. So it's important to renounce these things. Amen? If we're Christians, let's be Christians. If we're Christians, let's be Christians. Those of you listening by way of YouTube, if you're a Christian, then be a proper Christian according to the word of God. Amen? So we renounce it. I love this, Acts chapter 19, verse 18 to 20. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Ladies and gentlemen, these were expensive books. And they counted up the value of them. These guys liked numbers, hey? These Jewish guys, these, these guys, they liked numbers. Or these Greek speaking guys, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Are you willing to burn up things that might be expensive, but they're things that you need to renounce? I know certain people, when they became Christians, they burnt out all their old music. They burnt up all their old music. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying all worldly music is bad, some of it is okay. But sometimes you can have that conviction and you're in a place where it's like, you know what? This music, when I play it, it's reminding me of my past. Come on, some of you who were in the world, what would happen? You start listening to some of the music from back in the day and what you start thinking of. That dude who you are making out with. Can I go there, please? That dude you are making out with. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. I know, but this is my jam. Pastor, this is my jam. I can't let it go of my jam. As long as it's your jam with your current husband. Not with that dude, because when you play it, what happens? You go back. Amen? I know, but um, it costs me a lot. It's, It's my collection. Burn it up. But what about these books? Yeah, they're new agey. I don't really read them, Pastor, but they're here. They're here in my bookshelf. They look so nice and they're good quality. It's my collection. Can't I sell them to that bookshop? What, then you cause other people to go deeper into the same stuff you were in? Say to the person next to you, burn it up. Say to someone else, burn burn it up. I'm burning up. I'm burning, I'm burning Wee-hoo. Remember back in the day? <sighs> yeah. So there are things we need to renounce. they are things we need to renounce. It literally means to disown certain things. E, we're talking about an acid test, right, for repentance. Godly hatred for sin. Godly hatred for sin. You know, the Bible says, love what is good, hate what is evil. I think a lot of us as Christians, we love good stuff, but we don't hate evil enough. When you hate someone or something, you avoid them. Are you hearing me this morning? When you hate someone or something, you avoid them, don't you? God wants us to hate sin. God wants us to be grieved by sin. When we see sin on TV, we're not like, hey, ooh, 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 Ezekiel chapter 36, 31 to 33, very, very important, very important. It says, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations, not for your sake Do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. That's God's heart of love. I have a problem with some people who don't hate sin. You know those people who come to you and out of respect for you, they say, oh, excuse my French, but the French still comes out. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Oh, 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 excuse, sorry, sorry, Pastor Trace, and they still say it out. That person doesn't hate what they're doing. They're just acknowledging your presence and then they're still carrying on with what they're doing, okay? F, a positive change in one's behavior or putting on the new man. In Ephesians 4, 22, it says that you put off concerning your former, former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a very powerful phrase there. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're a new creation. There's a change in identity. That's why Paul, when he addresses the issue with the church at Corinth of sexual sin, what does he say? He didn't just say, hey, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop behaving badly. Naughty, naughty, naughty. He didn't. He says, but guys, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? My wife touched on it last week. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know what he's actually doing there? He's starting off from a place of identity. When your self-concept changes, you live out differently. Amen? When you've got that revelation that this is my sister in Christ, her body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you renew your mind concerning what she comprises of, my friends, you'll treat that sister differently. Amen? But if you haven't yet renounced your worldly mindset of objectifying females, your behavior won't change. Gentlemen, your behavior won't change. Are you getting something this morning? Gene, restitution for the wrongs done wherever possible. Restitution. What is restitution? To pay back, right? To make up for something. So... I can't just say let's say I've had a busy three weeks I can't just say to my wife my love I'm really sorry I've been really focused on my stuff and I've neglected you a bit I'm really sorry and then I just carry on if I'm truly repentant I need to be saying my pressure to make up for it I think we need to go on a weekend away are you following That's restitution. It's where you do something about it. You can't just say, oh, honey, yes, I've been so secretive and I've been flirtatious on social media and doing this and this and this and so on. What's the restitution? The restitution I often give people when there's been that type of stuff is be transparent about everything. Restitution is now, honey, you've got access to all my stuff. I've got nothing to hide. That's how you build the trust again. Amen? You can't just say, I know you need to let go. I need to get over it. You cannot, you cannot talk your way out of something that you behaved your way into. Amen? You cannot talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. If you want people to trust you again, there are certain behavioral things you have to do to rebuild the trust. To make it easier for the person to trust you again. Are you hearing me this morning? I don't have any interactions with females that my wife is not aware of. Even if I'm on a phone with, with someone of the opposite sex, you know, if I'm, I'm on the phone, with, oh, I was just talking to so-and-so. Oh, I was talking to so-and-so about such-and-such. There's nothing that they can tell me that she shouldn't know. Amen? I rarely give lifts to females, but when I have to, so those of you I've given a lift to don't feel bad now, but if I have to, I've always got an alibi. I'll say to my wife, okay, my love, I'm just I'm just picking up Raquel now. Yes, and I'm just now dropping her off at home. When I drop her off, oh, okay, I've just dropped her off now. I'm now on my way. Do you know why we do that? The more influential you become, there's a predatory press out there. And gentlemen, there are predatory women out there. Ladies, there are predatory men out there. Some of them have got demons. They're full of demons. And they've been assigned to destroy your family and your marriage. It's so easy for someone to just make up a story about you. Yeah, we saw Pastor Paul. Imagine with all the counseling I do, all the marriage shows and things like that. Imagine if I fall. I can't afford to. Are you hearing me? Imagine imagine the damage it will do to people. There's a predatory press out there where people can also make up stories about you. Yeah, we saw Pastor Paul with... Yeah, and then we... Uh, imagine like they give feedback to my wife and she doesn't know anything about it. Those are the guardrails we have to protect ourselves. And those of you who are single, what is, what, is, what is restitution or what is fleeing from evil? If you're there, you're single and you know you've got hormones. And you know the other person also has their hormones doing their things. (laughs) Number one, there's certain things you shouldn't talk to the opposite sex about. You know, there's the guy who goes up to a girl and says, yeah, my sister, I just want to share with you because I just feel like I can be open with you. I'm struggling with the spirit of lust, you know, I really struggle. And then the sister's like, hey, me too. I also struggle with the (laughs) spirit of lust. The rest is history. (laughs) Please. And make yourselves accountable. That's another thing I say to people. I say, listen, the moment you're starting to feel tempted, give me a call. Put me on speed dial. Put me on speed dial. Put One of your brothers, put them on speed dial. There was a guy who was going to a conference, driving with someone from, from his workplace. I think it was a few hours drive. Be very careful of that a man and a woman, by yourselves. You wouldn't sit like that with each other for six hours. But now you're in a car together, somehow the rules change. Yeah, we took a drive. It was my work colleague. It's just the two of you. Just the two of us. Just the two of you. <laughs> Cruising there, rolling, whatever vehicle you've got. And then at a certain point, the lady put her, her, her hand on this guy's lap. Please, I'm not giving you guys ideas. <laughs> yes, that's your husband. You can do that. Okay, she put, the guy immediately stopped his vehicle, went and made a phone call, came back into the car. The lady said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, are, what is that all about? Who were you phoning? The guy said, I was phoning my pastor just to tell him that there's a lady who I'm giving a lift to who's trying to seduce me. <laughs> Listen very carefully, ladies and gentlemen, you have to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. Amen. (laughs) Girls used to ask me back in the day, girls would ask me, they say, Paul, you need to do a message, please, on how to block guys spiritually, because we've got all these guys going for us. How do we block them as a Christian? We don't want to come across like we're being proud, and we think, oh, we're so lovely, we're so attractive, we think we're it. How do we do it spiritually? You must embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. It's much better for you to come across as slightly rude to the guy than you ending up being seduced by him. Are you hearing me this morning? It's much better you say, um, I don't appreciate how you're talking to me. You're not being a gentleman. You don't even know me. Get, get your hands off me. Be assertive, ladies. This is Women's Weekend Day. Hey? We can address the women. Be assertive. Got a lot of guys texting women inappropriately. And some of these are married women, and they're just like, "Uh thank you, Uh thank you. No. You must embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. There was a particular preacher, he was on a plane, and this beautiful-looking woman comes up and tries to seduce him. Comes and sits next to him and so on. He got up and he was like, Be gone from me, you whore of Babylon! I won't tell you who the preacher was. He's quite a funny guy, right? Now, I wouldn't do that. I would want to maybe preserve someone's dignity a bit and so on. But you know what? For some people who have a weakness in these kinds of areas, you must embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. And those of you who are single have boundaries, Boundaries that you actually talk about when we do pre-engagement counseling and so on. Talk about the boundaries. Don't touch this. Don't take this off. Don't do it. This is part of fleeing temptation. Amen? Maybe we'll do a whole series sometime on that kind of thing. Okay. So restitution wherever possible. Luke 19 verse 8 to 9, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up, remember the short guy, Zacchaeus, stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I'm sure there are guys saying, yeah, you've cheated me, yeah, you've cheated me, all right? Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't say this before the guy had done the restitution. Before the guy had spoken about restitution. Jesus saw true repentance and he says salvation has now come. Amen. And then finally H, a fresh earnestness in the things of God. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 11. So it's not just about I repent of this sin. It's also I'm turning away from this and I'm turning toward God. The Christian life, it's a continued heart attitude of turning away from sin and turning toward God. Turning away from sin and turning toward God. When you study scripture, you actually see that repentance is a constant state of heart. It's not like, yes, I repented of that long ago. I'm continuously in a state of repentance, of turning away from it and turning toward God concerning the particular thing. Amen? Why should I be willing to confess my sin? God already knows my sin. Jeremiah 16 verse 17. He already knows it. There's nothing hidden from him. It says, my eyes are on all their ways. They're not hidden from me. Nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. So when you don't confess your sin, it's self-deception, isn't it? It's like you're conning yourself. B, there is no guarantee that my sin will not be revealed. And we see this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. It says, therefore, do not fear them, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. you know what this shows me, guys? you know what it shows me? I need to deal with things in my life. Otherwise, those things at some point will be exposed. How many of you know that if you've got an area of sin at home or an area of weakness, if you don't deal with it at home, at a certain point you'll be embarrassed outside the house? Is everyone following? Confession of sin is key to healing. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a lot of healing that comes When we confess sin. Confession of sin is a key key to cleansing. We've already read the scripture in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As long as the sin is in secret, it has power over you. Anything that is in darkness, ladies and gentlemen, has power over you. E, confession of sin eliminates the need for future exposure And judgment. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 31 it says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Do you see the principle there? I want to judge myself lest I be judged. Everyone following that? And finally, what are the results of true repentance? When we repent truly, John 10 verse 10 shows us that we experience life. Jesus says he's come that we may have life and we may have it abundantly. Guys, repentance is a good thing. B, there is pardoning and remission of sins. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Isn't that powerful? You're not just forsaking your way, you're also forsaking your thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. See. We will live in continual prosperity. We see this in Daniel 4, verse 27. It says, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. When you do what? When you break off your sins, it says, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. D, we're refreshed by the Lord. Have you noticed that there's a refreshing that comes when you confess sin? When you repent? It's refreshing, isn't it? It's like there's this load that comes off you. In Acts 3 verse 19 it says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then there's also great joy in heaven. Heaven rejoices. In Luke 15 verse 7 and in verse 10 it says, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guys, the reflection questions that I have for you for this message are so powerful. I'd encourage you this week to go to a small group and have discussions in your group around this. Amen? Maybe you are here this morning and you're in a place in your life where are things that you've been carrying and you know you need to renounce them. You know you need to truly repent of them, but you haven't done it fully as I've explained in this message. You've tried behavior modification, but you keep going back to that same thing. I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning. Lord Jesus, I renounce all evil. I turn away from it. I flee from it so that I may experience your life forgive me for the wrong mindset that I've had concerning this particular thing I thank you for your forgiveness and I thank you for your abundant grace come and continue convicting me pull me away from these things I choose to follow you wholeheartedly and so I turn away completely from darkness. Show me what I need to do as an act of restitution. Give me your wisdom in having guardrails. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, E-family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.